Welcome to Sega Saturn Shiro, the only podcast that runs entirely on Tiberium. Welcome. I'm Pat. Just Pat. From God to Cain to Pat. Your mission is simple. Rendezvous with your fellow comrades and play Command and Conquer by Westwood Studios. Tonight's heroes are Nick, Ben, Peter, Patrick, and Dave. All right, so before we begin, let's uh, do some little personal updates real quick. Uh, Dave, did you want to start us out? So since we last recorded, um, I did like a initial D stream. I kind of got on an initial D kick for a while there um, because I found this Eurobeat mod that was going around and um, that was kind of fun. And we discovered um, some rare footage from Dragon's Dream, uh, like the first MMORPG to hit a console. And that ran off uh, Japanese nifty servers. And it was kind of, that was kind of a cool little discovery. Um, we wrote up an article that you can find on SegaSadandShiro.com. You know, since then, um, I did a couple other projects. Like, um, I don't know, one kind of big thing is that I hit 3,000 uh, likes on my Saturn Dave page, which I can't, kind of a milestone for me. <laughs> it's where I post, like, you know, random stuff that I'm interested in regarding, usually regarding Saturn, not always, but yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. That was kind of a big deal. And uh, I know. Um, Adam Kralik got one of my pieces like uh, he he was one of the ones one of the earliest ones to get on the deep fear list that I had going and I haven't done that many copies of deep fear but I did you know I did a batch recently and he was in that thing and uh, he completely forgot that he ordered it which I thought was funny but he was like yeah I'll take it I don't want to like lose out on the spot and uh, he posts up a little video on that so that was cool to get a shout there. Uh, from another person in the community that I respect quite a bit. And um, another cool thing is both Nick and Sam, both our Shiro Bro Nick here and Sam uh, Miles, put out some pretty great videos uh, since we last recorded. Um, Sam did this uh, Saturn Was Our Future video, which was a love letter to Sega Saturn fans the world over. And Nick put out a great video of well, I don't want to say Nick's thing, but I really appreciated Nick's video for Offworld Interceptor, which I hope he'll go over. And then also, Thank lastly, you. I will just say that recent, yeah, it was awesome. Um, I'm actually swiping through my feed because so much has happened. I feel like so much has happened uh, since the last time we recorded. I'm just trying to bring it all to mind. But most recently, I beat Mist uh, with my son on the Saturn. It was an excellent experience. He loved it. Um, just as good as the first time I played it. So I feel like Mist on the Saturn, I can recommend it. It's a solid experience. And then recently, I am, I've been playing uh, Shining the Holy Ark, which I have dabbled in uh, since I bought a complete and box copy over the years. But I have never like really like sat down and said, I'm going to play this game from start to finish. But because my son is playing it with me, it's kind of you know a good reason to stick with it um because he's invested so i you know he keeps asking me like can we keep going can we you know keep grinding and keep advancing the story so i have to say i'm really into this game um and shining the holy ark is it's a lot better than i than i anticipated i guess it's as good as everybody says it is so that's pretty much it nice yeah no that seems like a heck of a lot of stuff there's more it's just i don't want to take up all the time you know but wait (laughs) yeah there's more it's like that's how long it's been since we <laughs> since we recorded. Yeah, it's been a crazy month with all the COVID stuff and and all the you know the protests and stuff like that. It's been yeah, absolutely. But crazy is an understatement. But uh, 
Anyways, uh, how you doing, Ben? Mr. Dungeons and Dragons man over there. Oh my goodness, oh, I'm doing pretty good. Now, um, after Dave's nice update there, uh, it made me realize that there's been a lot of stuff going on uh, since we last collaborated. And uh, so I'm trying to remember, like, what has been happening. And so I'm just going to throw these things out here. Because the I know that uh, my Radiant Silver Gun Arcade Machine, it's, it's completely put together. It looks beautiful. I've repainted it. I've done everything up on it. And it's really nice. I've got a piece of art coming for the control deck. Don't know when that'll come in, but the rest of it, it looks amazing. It plays well, and it's so much fun to do. Um... Aside from that, let's see. I oh yeah, I picked up a, uh, a high Saturn, so uh, Hitachi Saturn, and it's really cool. This one's going to be modified with uh, the the mode, the Terra Onion mode, and I've put one of those on order, and so that's what this is going to be for. It's going to um, be rad. This, this beautiful piece here, this high Saturn, uh, it's getting a Terra Onion mode put into it. And uh, that's on order. Comes in either the end of June, uh, beginning of July. Uh, so we'll see when that comes in. Looking forward to trying that out. Um, aside from that, I've picked up a few games, and I'm looking over at my rack uh, to go figure out which ones. But I I'll announce which ones I picked up in a, a, a later cast or on a stream. And uh, so I'll just uh, go on ahead and move it on to you, Peter. Oh, yeah, cool, thanks. Uh, so I've actually been up to uh, quite a bit. And first of all, okay, so a couple things. Shining the Holy Ark is an awesome game, and a Hitachi Saturn, I am jealous. So, that's, you know, phenomenal there. Um, so I've kind of been on a kick on collecting hardware. I've sort of, uh, uh, like, I've got all the American games, so I'm trying to see if I can collect hardware. And my first goal is to, you know, collect all the domestic hardware, uh, nice and in box if I can. And I'm also looking at getting some of the more obscure Japanese pieces. So one thing that I've picked up recently is an ebook operator. And, you know, essentially it, it's, it's almost like a mini firmware update that, you know, you load onto your Saturn. And, of course, it goes away as soon as you switch the power off. But it allows the Saturn to read uh, ebook format compact discs. Now, that just wasn't a thing in North America at all. So I'm going to have to see about uh, finding some ebooks. Uh, that I can import from elsewhere to to see how that functions on the Saturn. Just because I'm just keenly interested in all these weird and wonderful things that you can do with uh, the Saturn the Saturn hardware. Um, over and above that, I picked up uh, not necessarily on purpose, but I picked up a second uh, Tyson cable or battle cable because I ended up picking up a copy of a Japanese game called Steeldom, and it came in it, it, like a like a pack where you get the game as well as the Tyson cable, and it was it was new, so uh, that was kind of nice. And so I've got two of these uh, battle cables now and two copies of Steel Them. I obviously don't need both battle cables, but just sort of the way it worked out. I just want to mention real quick, I finished the original Clockwork Knight for the first time ever just a few days ago. Played bits and pieces of it off and on forever, it seems, but I've never sat down and actually sort of committed to finishing the game. So I was able to do that. It was a fun little distraction, and I actually got about halfway through the second game as well. And so it's, it's fun, you know, it's a fun little game. And I guess the last thing I want to mention real quick is I'm not much of a shooter guy, but I've sure jumped into a lot of different different uh, shmups in the last little while. So I've played me some Batsugan, uh, Sokyo Gurentai, uh, Sonic Wings Special, of course, Radiant Silver Gun, and boy, these these games are just something else. I mean, 
I can understand why there's a very specific segment of the population that enjoys shooters. I mean, you have to really get into it. You know, it's it's very sort of reflexes, memorization, uh, figuring out attack patterns. It's just very different from what I'm used to playing. And so it's just, it's super cool. I've really enjoyed myself. Which one have you favored the most out of those shmups? Okay, so... Sonic Wing Special seems to be a lot of uh, fun for me to just pick up and play. Um, I've played Radiant Silver Gun lots before, so I'm not going to really include that in my first impressions. But I have to also admit that Sokyo Garentai just knocked my socks off. It was like just visually, it's just it's it's remarkably well done, and the music's pretty pretty cool too. So. I'm I'm just pretty impressed. And Batsugan, the colors there are just phenomenal. So, anyways, they're all amazing. But I, I guess uh, Sokyo Gurentai surprised me the most. It just seems like a very polished shooter. Same composer as Radiant Silver Gun, Hitoshi Sakimoto. Oh, uh, Sakimoto, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Same as uh, Final Fantasy Twelve too. Ooh. Uh, Sonic Wings is probably one of my favorite shooters on the uh, the Neo Geo. Because they have Sonic Wings two and three, or was Aero Fighters one, uh, two and three on the, on the Neo Geo. So I play that quite a bit, and it's a lot of fun. It's solid. Sonic Wings is a great shooter. I think it's kind of underrated too. Not a lot of people talk about it. I I think my favorite character to play is the Dolphin, though. Yes, of course. Yeah. I also got myself a copy of Battle Garega, but I have to admit I haven't even given that a spin yet, so I can't add that to my. You know my little first impressions commentary, but wow, it's just those bullets are hard to see. <laughs> That's oh, all I can say. Tiny little enough, bullets. Okay. How much did that set you back? If you don't mind me asking. Um, about sixty cents because it's a burnt disc. So. Oh, okay. I thought you meant you actually bought the game. Oh no 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 no. The only you know I have a few original shmups. Radiant Silvergun being one of them. Cotton Two's another one, but. I was never really much of a shmup guy, so I never bothered picking them up. And I kicked myself because I remember passing on a lot of these games for just, you know, amazing prices 15, 20 years ago. And, oh, well, Same. it is what it is. They weren't my thing. No, yeah. I get that. I, I kind of regret picking up a bunch of Dreamcast things for that same reason. But, you know, it, it is what it is. But luckily we got all these interesting devices that we'll cover later on that we don't have to worry about that anymore, right? Exactly. For sure. I mean, unless we really want to look at the box, but, you know. It's half the fun. So, first off, I just want to give a major shout-out to Genovi. Uh, he recently put me in a video of his where he went over 10 YouTubers that have fewer than 2,000 subscribers at, uh, to do what yes. he calls a signal boost. And I, I checked it out, like, before and after that video went online. And between that and the upload of my most recent video, I had gained, like, I think it was, like, a thousand seven... No, sorry, not a thousand. Sorry, way overestimated. A hundred and seventy or so subs just from Genovi's people. So that was really mm-hmm. cool to see. Um, and obviously, I cracked 1,000 subs there and for the first time. So, yeah, a major thank you to Genovi for that. So, uh, and then also, Lord I started... He started putting my Twitter handle at the end of his videos, so so thank you, Lord of Sega X, for for doing so. I just wanted to interject that most people that watch your vi- that are new to your videos always say the same thing. They're like, "How does this guy have so few subscribers?" You know, because it's, it's your the, your yeah. subscribers are well deserved. Well, thank you. I appreciate Absolutely hearing agree. that. 
Thank you, thank you. I appreciate hearing that. It's 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 those uh those damn algorithm gods, I guess. I don't know, but yeah. So uh, uh as David mentioned, I recently uploaded a, a new video about Offworld Interceptor Extreme, which is a really strange vehicular combat game. Uh, so it more or less uses the same engine as Solar Eclipse, and uh, in that it's like 3D terrain that generates in front of you as your flat-facing sprite characters move along it. And uh, yeah, you basically play in this little ATV-looking thing with laser guns and missiles and stuff and blow up stuff uh, in a race to uh, get to the end of the, the chase, as they call it, uh, in a certain time limit. And it's, it's short enough to keep it interesting and fun. Um, like, I feel like if, if the story mode were any longer or if the levels were any longer, it would just drag on and be terrible. But if you happen to have a copy lying around or happen to run into one, it's one of those cheaper American titles. Uh, you know, give it a shot. It's actually not too bad. Uh, de- definitely underrated. It's definitely not great, but it's pretty all right. Now the cutscenes, though, those are God awful. It has two, like... I don't know, edgy 90s dudes trying to be like Mystery Science Theater 3000. And uh, they're not very funny, but it gets to the point where their shitty humor becomes funny. And yeah, very cringe, but in a very good way. So that was how that worked out. Now I'm working on playing slash reviewing, good God, Romance of the Three Kingdoms 4 Wall of Fire. If any if anyone listening has happened to play a game in that series, you you'll you probably know the learning curve for that is incredibly steep. I don't know if the later games are any easier to get a grip on, but good god, this game is insane. I've spent at least six or seven hours on it, and I still feel like I haven't gotten to the peak of the learning curve. I'm still like climbing up it. Uh, I'm at a point where I'm pretty sure I've got a grasp of the basics. (laughs) Like, I I think I understand it, but there's still a few, like, a few weird aspects of war and the economy and buying, you know, resources and stuff that I don't quite get yet. Uh, And the uh, really shitty thing about it is if you're playing on pseudo-Saturn, the amount of memory it takes up is nearly all of the internal system memory. I think it's like 400-some blocks. Like, you do not have room to put any other game saves on your internal memory if you have a save file on there. And there's also, like, like a certain point in the gameplay where if you have too many things going on, it just won't let you save until you progress out of whatever that is. It's like a rare occurrence, but it can get to the point where you cannot save it because there's just too much for it to keep track of. It's ridiculous. I'm, I think it might be fun, but <laughs> we'll see after I get up this learning curve. So uh, I would recommend if you wanted to play Romance of the Three Kingdoms, maybe try one of the later games. Maybe it's a little easier to understand. Koei games are kind of like that, though. They're ridiculous. I always get the Romance of the Three Kingdoms mixed up with Romance and Saga. Yeah, (laughs) I've heard people say that, actually. I was going to say, winning winning post, I've heard some people, uh, despite the the ridiculous cost of that game, say that that one's kind of easy to get into. And then uh, Air of Zendor, or Gotha 2, uh, is probably the only Koei game that I'll touch on the Saturn. That game's a lot of fun, and I can't wait till you get to that one. But r- when you said you were going to start reviewing Romancing of the Three Kingdoms, I was just like, oh, man, I feel for you. <laughs> that, that is a slog ridiculous. right It really there. is. It's an acquired taste. Right. right. Very much so. 
That's definitely so. what I'm picking up. But the people who love it seem to really like it, though. I mean, I guess it's rewarding once you finally get into it. But before know, we get too yet. far away, though, I wanted to tell you I really did enjoy your your video on Offworld Interceptor Extreme, and it really did kind of I don't know it made me want to give the game a second look because this is one of those games where I'm going through complete long box collecting, you know, for U.S. Saturn games. And you mm-hmm. mentioned the fact that it has a kick-ass cover, and it really does. It's one of those games where if you're going if you're going through eBay listings, it draws you in because it's just got like these really, it's I don't ridiculous. know, just <laughs> it's got this off-world kind of graphic thing going on on the cover, and you're just like, this looks kick-ass, right? And then you right. look at reviews, and you're just like, what the hell? What what's up with this game? Like so many people think it's trash. You look at some. You know, you look at some YouTube videos and most long plays or whatever, it's just, it looks so, I guess you could say samey or like re- repetitious. Yeah, um, it's definitely going got Going off some... of your review though, yeah, your your review actually made me think twice though because it was a little bit more positive than I was expecting. So I don't know if I should play the 3DO, the original 3DO version that takes itself more serious or the Saturn version, but I'm, I'm thinking about maybe... Uh, burning a copy and trying it out and then maybe adding it to the collection if if it ends up being decent enough. Yeah, the Saturn version's definitely better than the 3DO. It's like a improved, just more refined version of the game with different level design. Yeah, it's like there are some similarities in the level design and such, but like it's more or less an improved version of the 3DO game. And they did a lot of gameplay tweaks, like you don't have to collect fuel in the Saturn version, which in the 3DO game was just like a terrible feature things like that Uh, yeah i mean like like i said it's definitely not something you should go purposefully seeking out a copy of if you you know don't know anything about it but if you happen upon it if you have a way to play it or it just comes in a bulk lot like definitely give it a whirl it's not terrible at all cheap too it's one of the cheaper games these days at least you know the multiplayer is terrible in it it's yeah i would imagine it would be the game oh, itself yeah. it's... moves at like 20 frames per second, maybe. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, right. What anyway, else? Anything that, else? I'm not buying new capture equipment because my old, more than 10 year old uh, Dazzle capture card that uses Firewire finally uh, hit the deck. So um, I'm probably going to be getting an OSSC and then whatever HDMI video card solution is better for it. Do you like use an old PC or an adapter for that? I don't think there's a Firewire connector. No, there isn't. I have a MacBook, so I had got a Thunderbolt adapter for FireWire and used it. So it worked fine up until it, where it didn't work fine. <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, it, it's incompatible with OBS just because the software on it's this, it's just that old. Definitely about time. <laughs> so Pandemonium will soon be broadcasting video game footage in shiny HD. Getting that upgrades. Woo! So yeah, that's it. That's all that's that's going on with me. How about you, Mr. Patrick? How are how are you? Well, I've been working on a bunch of projects in this uh, crazy quarantine. Um, I started first with my arcade machine. I got uh, I got a it's called a a Dream Pie. No, it's not a Dream Pie. Um, it was a, uh, a Net Boot Pie. Basically, what it does is that allow me to Net Boot games to the uh, Naomi, which is essentially an arcade Dreamcast system. So that way I can boot the games like a EverDrive and just load it via a network connection. So I got that all set up and I ordered the 
the board from Japan. It's going to take a little bit to get there, but, you know, everything's set up. Um, I also got a uh, connection for my mister, so that way I can play my mister on my arcade machine, so that's pretty cool, too. I actually had to do some soldering because he did the connections wrong on there, so I had to cut some traces and move a wire. So that's a, another thing in my resume for uh, working on arcade stuff, I guess, <laughs> and soldering stuff. So that's kind of fun. That was fun. A bit annoying, but fun. Um, uh, also got got uh, modified my current fight stick, the Hori Vulix. So they're pretty big sticks. It's about like almost a foot and a half along of a fight stick. So I modded that to use a Brook Universal fighting board so I can basically plug it into really anything that I want and play arcade games. I also got also got a little tiny fight stick. That's a Street Fighter 4 Tournament Edition fight stick that I'm going to mod for local gameplays. That's been pretty fun. I, I got a board for that, so I need to wait for that to come in and fix that. Um, I also got a CRT Trinitron so I can play uh, VGA games and glorious uh, CRT goodness. So that's cool as well. I put out a new video for Shiro, the uh, Lunar Silver Star Story patch announcement video. So that went up uh, yesterday. That was a good video. Thanks. Thanks. It was a lot of work. Um, I actually actually noticed going through it that I made an error when I made that joke about it being a beta test. Uh, one of the images uh, is actually from Yu-Gi-Oh. The uh, it's called the Beta Warrior. It's a card. I forgot to get rid of all his transparency. I make him a full transparency, and there's a little bit of white under his arm that got left in, but it flashes for like half a second. So I don't think anybody normal would be able to see that and point that out. I just thought it was kind of funny. I didn't really get to know. And it just yeah, goes, yeah, it was, it was a great video too. So yeah, it just goes to show no matter how hard you work on a video, you always find something that's messed up that you. That you accidentally left in, so. But, Preach. But yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty fun to make. I think I did it in about two days or so. There's just a lot of editing with that one because there's a lot of jump cuts, a lot of music and syncing and voice acting and stuff. So, lots and mm. lots of editing. So, as you guys probably well know about that. Besides that, um, I think that's about it. Good. And oh, oh also Cyberpunk. So that's all set up for Cyberpunk. So Ooh. I'm ready to to fight people in the future. And Keanu Reeves. Oh hell nice. yeah! Speak off the record, Pat. Speaking of cyberpunk, have you do you like uh, do you like text adventures? And have you ever played that cyber cipher? Have you played cipher, a cyberpunk text adventure? Uh, no, I heard about that, and I know about the the board game it's based off of. I just okay. I just haven't played a lot of text based adventure games like on DOS and stuff. Oh, it's it. It's like a graphic text adventure. Like oh, there's okay. graphic elements and stuff like that, but you're typing in a console, and it's very, uh, it's very much a Blade Runner ripoff. But I, I think mm. it's up your alley. It's PC. Oh yeah, I'll check it out. I have a, I haven't have my retro build PC, but unfortunately I need to new, get a new, uh, a new power supply because I actually pulled that one for my new build because the power supplies mm -hmm. are in so short demand. But no need to worry. It's not like an old power supply. It's like a brand new one I got to shove in there specifically for it. But because of the power yeah. supply is being like out of stock everywhere, I had to I had to improvise and take that one out to be able to power my PC. You know, gotta gotta cool. make sacrifices. But it'll be up and running soon. As soon as the power supply issue is solved, and I can get that up and running again. Wait till you fire up Marvel vs. Capcom on that new Trinitron. Mm. You it's gonna you be will sweet. be amazed. I'm excited. It looks nice. It's gonna be sweet. And then yeah. I have the I have that other one, the arcade monitor that I'm getting uh, with the, sorry, I meant my arcade system that that also does VGA stuff and 
That one I'm going to be able to play MVC2 and, and a 29-inch VGA 31 kilohertz display, so that's going to be beautiful. All right, guys. So why don't we uh, move on to the news now? Um, let's start off with the uh, with the first thing is that Sega continues to develop the backstory of Sega Shiro with uh, two new videos since we last talked. Um, one of them where it introduces him and why he wears the gi, and then having having to fight this evil doer that came in a black gi to fight him. Well, with the next video with him fighting him and finding out that there's a big twist, which it turns out that the evil villain is really Sagata. And he had to sadly vanquish his father to the planet Saturn, where he shall forever live. Also, also they could release a tiny little pocket-sized <laughs> Game Gear. Yeah, that was the oh, four God, games on it. Or, or, or the, oh, the arcade Lord. app where you can connect to an arcade machine and play on an internet connection if you live in Japan. I know, right? Uh, you VPN probably, but they, you know. Um, you need a special want... eyeglass prescription to play this game here. <laughs> I just want Sega to know one point that one point two five inch screen. It's stupid. Yeah, I I beat Sega to that in 2012 when I bought a flash cart for my Game Boy Micro, which can emulate Game Gear games. So that's a nice Game Gear. Mine looks cool. That's a nice Famicom though. I always yeah. wanted to get that. Some some kid at my Thank school you. had it back when it was less than a hundred bucks. So definitely had the right time i got it in box and i i don't know what happened like when i moved uh, to college i lost the box somewhere along the transition which made me very sad because like that would probably be hella valuable now but i still have the game boy micro the important part of that i like it how you always have it at, at arm's reach yep i do i've got like this crazy case for it and i actually i i found a usb game boy micro charger if i want to take it somewhere me too so. wait do you nice. have a little yeah. do you have the hard shell case yeah, do you have like the little hard that. shell case i do yeah it's it's the dream gear one and it has like a i nice have the exact same one to sit in oh, yeah. yeah dude yeah when it I've... came when i got it, it oh you've got the famicom one nice i have a yeah, i have the like army army men the, like, kind of pattern one. on mine but yeah, that Dream Gear case had like all this oil inside when I first got it. I had to like Ew. wash wash it off because those rubber inserts had like all sorts of like oil on them. It was weird. Oof, was that weird. wasn't water, Dave. But yeah, mine that, didn't that was an oil. I think the game, yeah, <laughs> not that kind of oil. Um, I think the Game Boy Micro is actually bigger than the these new Game Gears. Is it really? Oh, gross. I That's, think so. Oh, it looks like. It, I mean, like. Even in my big hands, like it looks bigger than what these, these even. I mean, these Game Gears look small even in tiny Japanese hands. So, I want to know who asked for them. Like, right. at first, yeah. I thought it was kind of neat until I was like, "Oh wait, they only come with four games each." And wait, wait, They're these are this bucks. small? I mean, like, right? And so I was like, "What? What? Who thought this was a good idea?" So if they released them as Christmas tree ornaments in like a commemorative box for 20 bucks a pop and they came with the same four games on I think I think they'd sell like hotcakes like I'd buy one of each 
and I'd hang them on my Christmas tree with those little little Japanese charm things, you know. But uh, but for fifty bucks a pop, that is just ridiculous. I don't know who asked for it. Yeah, I think you and I, Dave, were talking about that. This was really geared towards so the Japanese audience as an indication that it was announced totally. only in Japanese. Because I think in Japan the Game Gear was pretty popular, but here it's like, I think maybe I was the only one that had one my my any group of anything when I was a well, kid. Well, it, it it was hugely popular in Japan, but I mean that even that that price, I don't know how many Japanese consumers are going to buy it at that price. Considering, I mean, unless there's some potential to unlock it and just you know throw a ton of games on there. Yeah, somehow. I was really surprised it only came with four games each. Yeah, I don't know how much internal memory it has. I mean, any other Sega system that hasn't been done, like they could have even come out with like a Sega CD, like something or another, or everybody wants the Saturn and the Dreamcast, obviously, but, uh, or even uh, the Master System. Master System would have been a cool one because how many people have actually played a Master System, you know? Not many. I I don't know. It It was just a weird call to make a mini Game Gear. It really was. At least they did the Genesis before this. Yeah. My, my initial reaction was incredibly positive. When I just knew that it was a Game Gear, I was like, hell yeah. I've been waiting to have a reason to get into the Game Gear's library because I have a lot of friends who have told, who swear by it. Like this, I think, Ben, I think you were one of the people talking about how great the Game Gear library is. And I'm, I haven't gone that deep into the Game Gear library. So I'm looking for a reason to, you know, get into it and be able to have it be convenient, you know. But, uh, but with only four games and 50 bucks, like, I was just like, you're killing me here. Like, this is, that just kind of ruins it for me. But, I mean, let's be honest. Like, all of this speculation with the Shiro commercials and stuff like that, what everybody was really hoping for was a Saturn Mini, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Yep. I mean, that they were speculating, and of course, most of us with half a brain know that that's not really, we're not there yet. You know, emulation-wise, for the price, we're not there. Because if this thing's going to happen at all, it's going to be at a, like a $70 price point, 70 or $80 price point to be realistic, and that kind of emulation isn't possible. I mean, I know, I know Polymega have Saturn emulation down, but I mean, that's a, what, $400 console? But, I mean, to get that kind of emulation power, even if we're not talking FPGA, we're looking at another few years down the road, you know? Which, by that time, the whole mini console thing might be just, you know, a memory. So, it's kind of, yeah, don't know that that's ever going to happen. Yeah, see, what I would have done... Okay, so here's the game, Garrick, okay, right? Um, and... I think the size is fine, okay? Everybody always talks about the batteries, okay, right? How it just swallows these things. Now, to me, the size of this thing is is perfectly good. It's really comfortable. It's easy to hold. But now what I would have done is this screen size here, I would have actually enlarged it uh, for, say, like an updated Game Gear and given it an LCD. Now, this one's actually got a modification in it to where I've got, like, the McWill screen in it. So it's super clear um, and... You know, when you're playing it like this was Sonic the Hedgehog, which blurs like crazy when you're going through the stages uh, under the regular screen. But I'm trying to hold it to where you can kind of see that it does not blur. You know, you can also hold it at an angle and you don't have the uh, that light blurring effect at different angles, too. So there are 
there's definitely some upgrades that a Game Gear, you know, like say a, a relaunched Game Gear can have that are obviously better than this. You know, better battery life, better screen, larger screen, stuff like that. Better like caps that, that don't but, explode for no reason. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, oh, uh, speaking of which, if you do find one of these, you usually do have to replace the caps. It's not hard to do. It's a good project for somebody who's just now getting into soldering. It, it's very easy, so no problem there. But, yeah, it's just... But to miniaturize this? I mean, that's just a, a weird thing to do. Except for, like Dave was saying, you know, an ornament. That would be the most brilliant ornament ever is, hey, look at that. You got a Game Gear on the tree. Oh, it even plays. You can take Holy it off crap. and play it. Yeah. yeah. Then, then it would make mm -hmm. sense that it would be that small. I just think the big thing is that we're looking at from an American's perspective... Well, in the Japanese perspective, maybe their marketing said, "Oh, hey, if we did a mini console, the this the Game Gear Mini would sell like hotcakes, hotcakes, mm -hmm. because it's what's popular. Like all the people played it. Like, like you know what? I think um, we're I think one of the big things that I'm interested in with this whole mini portable console stuff is the analog pocket that's coming out soon. It's like a two hundred dollar little oh, yeah. FPGA device that could play Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advanced." Uh, Game Gear, uh, Game Gear. Uh, I think Turbo Graphics stuff we're gonna do, and uh, Neo Geo Pocket Color. So it's like a bunch of different portable systems, and it should be all playable. Oh, and the, I think the links too. Pat, you plan on using flash carts with that? Well, the console actually comes with an SD slot, so you could just load an SD card in. It. And with all these uh, analog oh, really? cores, a lot of them are have uh, jailbreaks. But the guy that did all those the modifications on it and helped analog does a jailbroken firmware where you can load the games via an SD card. So, and that's probably what's going to happen with all the other ones because they are pretty bad with releasing those adapters. So usually they just have, Oh yeah, load them for SD cards. So I think the analog NT that NES console, it all loads a bunch of stuff from SD card. And I think the uh, mm -hmm. SNES and the mega drive do that too now. So a, an EverDrive really isn't necessary or a flash cart. For that, since you can just load it on there, and I, I think that's going to be the the king of portable consoles once that comes out, because you could play all these portable things and have all these ROMs on it, and just be like, "Hey, got this one little device, I can play it." So I think that's going to be the winner. It's only like what two hundred dollars too, right? Yeah, it's basically what Polymega should have been, uh, except for the handheld department. Yeah, so mm -hmm. I'm pretty excited to get my hands on one of those, especially because I, I bring a lot of my Game Boy on the trip, so it'd be nice to have a Updated one with a nice screen and rechargeable battery, so you can just play in like tent or something, on like a camping trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely considering that, especially for Pokemon games. <laughs> it has a separate dock that you can purchase that you can uh, put it on the big screen too, so you can dock it in this thing, and so it's a way to play Game Boy uh, and Game Gear and anything else up on your TV. You know what I really want for the uh, this is kind of off topic but what i really want for the future of emulation is just dating sims no i want i want every single developer uh, you know every single developer of emulators to bake in smb support or like network drive support so that you can have your saves on a network drive because i like to take my you know like my son and i will be playing like pokemon yellow on the wii or something like through an emulator right and then I'll have to like get on, you know, get on the network, grab, or I'll have to, you know, get, pull out the SD card, get the save off there, and then put it on his computer, or put it on a, 
handheld device, right? And wouldn't it just be great if you had all your saves on a network that you could access from any emulator? Some emulators do that. Some emulators have that support, and uh, it's awesome, you know? Uh, I had it. There's a there was a SNES emulator for the Wii that had the ability to load ROMs and also saves off of a network drive, like a NAS storage device. And so that was awesome. I just wish more devices would do that, or more more emulators would do that. That'd be cool if they could get the uh, get the analog uh, pocket to do that. That'd be kind of neat. Does it have any kind of Wi-Fi? It would have to have Wi-Fi to do that, though. I actually don't know, but it probably wouldn't surprise me if it didn't. But we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I don't know if it does, though. Yeah. It probably doesn't, but whatever. talk about the the mode announcement and just talk about sort of ODEs in general I mean I know that the mode OD for you that don't know Terra Onion the guys did the Neo SD and the was it SSDS3 and all those other ODE stuff announced a Saturn and Dreamcast ODE so basically it can work with any version of the Saturn and any version of the Dreamcast it's all plug and play just connect the you know the the, tw- the pin connectors the power supply put inside of the Dreamcast or Saturn and replace the uh disk drive and you can load games off of an SD card or or actually this one supports an SD card and a, a SATA connection so you can put in a a SSD or a uh, an, a hard disk drive into it and just have a giant storage unit which I think I'm going to be doing but um mm-hmm. I think it's kind of interesting uh, what did you what do you guys think of the the mode ODE coming out Oh, oh, I'm so psyched for this thing. This uh, basically, I, I love the fact that it's compatible with Saturn and Dreamcast uh, because you got a little bit of flexibility there uh, for whichever users are wanting to put it into what. Now, as far as taking it out of one and putting it in the other as just switching, flipping, flopping and all that good stuff, I'm not sure how capable that is just yet, although we will find out once we get ours in hand and we can see uh, what it, it requires to put it in, take it out, and all that sort of stuff. But I know for me personally, I'm looking forward to sticking it in my Saturn uh, because I have a very large Dreamcast collection and I more or less have everything on disc that I want. Uh, but the Saturn, I'm missing so many games because of the Japanese market. And now the rest of the American games have been just priced so high that I don't really want to spend 100 to $300 on a game uh, individually versus just being able to just play them on something like the mode. And uh, so my plan is to put it in the Saturn, keep it in the Saturn, and then have all these games that I can just go ahead and play and have at my fingertips, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I actually have the Raya right now, so I think I'm going to put it in my Dreamcast just to sort of differentiate that. But I think it's going to be a really neat device for both the consoles. Um, what about you, Dave? What do you think? Are you going to look into getting one? Yeah, I, I think that... Uh, so I had a pre-order and I canceled it due to financial reasons and also just because I really don't, I don't need an ODE yet. You know, I'm not there. 
I have several consoles. They all have. I just, I just don't. I have all the games I want, you know, at at my fingertips, and I also make games, as you know, and I often have to test functionality of, of burns and stuff like make sure that they they work so you know i don't have the immediate need for an ode um and we talked about the the mode at length last podcast but what i will reiterate um is that it seems like the most solid option and the most like it's the biggest no-brainer on the market um when in terms of somebody coming to it fresh and not knowing anything about odes and wanting to know which way to go it really takes out the guesswork because it's universal. It gives you the add-ons, you know, to, to fit it into whatever system you're putting it in. Um, it it's universal in terms of you know how many pins. You don't have to worry about opening up your Saturn or your Dreamcast and what kind of console, what kind of board revision do I have. It pretty much has you covered. Um, you're backed by a company, Terra Onion, who has a reputation. They're going to put out firmware updates. They're going to stay on top of that and make sure that they're honing the performance and making sure that, um, you know, hopefully they can enhance it and continue to make it a stable uh, experience. I have a friend, Kevin Middleton, on the Saturn Junkyard, who he's a very technical guy, and he was one of the early adopters of the Fenrir. And he's already talking about taking that out of his Saturn and putting in a mode as soon as he gets it because the Fenrir is starting to act up on it course you know it's possible that uh you know i'm not i'm not trying to you know bad mouth the guys from fenrir i'm sure that they're going to try to work on that maybe put out some path firmware patches or whatever but all i'm saying is it's a cheaper option but you kind of get what you pay for you know with the fenrir i think you're going to do some more tinkering whereas with the mode it's just going to be a little bit more plug and play it seems to me and that's without having tried one in the marketing and just how they're pushing the product Obviously, it's a little bit more pricey, but it's going to be one of those things where you have peace of mind. You can just buy it, set it, and forget it, you know? Yeah, I think that's the biggest sort of thing with the ODE wars, because there's going to be about like three or four of them at this point. You have the the uh, Rhea and Phoebe, you have the Mode, mm-hmm. and you have the Fenrir. So you have three different mm-hmm. one of them, and they all have different options and different pluses and minuses. Um, I know... For mm-hmm. the 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 Rhea and Phoebe have been working for years and it's sort of well tested and true, but really hard to get a hold mm-hmm. of and a bit finicky with the images. Um, I know the Fenrir, mm-hmm. like you were saying, it's very, uh, it's it's cheap, but you know it's you know your beta. It's not a release; it's a beta testing of this this device. So a lot of people don't realize this yeah. is a testing phase of it. It's not like an actual physical device you'll, that's that's re- purchased ready for boxing and stuff. It's you know, he has these pre-orders, he just ships it out, and it works for the most part for most games. It's still hard to get, like the Rhea and Phoebe, but uh, I mean, I guess, I guess from what I understand, it's e- a little bit easier to get. And then you have, the, you know, the mode that's yeah. going to be come out, and it's readily available, you know, people pre-ordering. I think pre-orders are even still open, and nobody's running into these mm-hmm. issues with it, with that pre-order, and, you know, it has all this compatibility. Like you were saying, you pay for what you get, and I think... Uh, in my opinion, if I were to select one or recommend the audience, I'd have to say you'd probably want to just hold out for the the mode for now. Um, we'll we'll see when tested ourselves when it comes out if you want to hold out. But I mean, mm-hmm. the Fenrir, you don't know. Like, I mean, they could stop testing it, or maybe they just get it as good as they can, and it's like, oh, well, you got to buy new hardware now because it's up to the maximum. Or there's some issue with it, and the Ray and Phoebe, I mean, yeah. just so hard to get. I mean, when it comes to like. When it comes to factory real estate, 
um, for your pick and place operation. You know, you have a limited amount of projects you can run at the same time. So it makes sense that they would have one universal project and they're just going to blast out as many of them as they possibly can. So it makes sense that pre-orders are still open because they're planning on saturating the retro market with this thing, you know, which is good because if it has a high install base, it's going to have a high support. You know, it's going to have a lot of support because it's like a legit, you know, commercial product. Not saying that those other products aren't legit or that they're not commercial, but it's kind of a different, you know, different scales <laughs> when we're talking about, you know, the size of the operation. It kind of comes off like those other two are sort of fan, you know, put together, solder by hand and send out while the other one's a sure. manufacturing project. Yeah. Like it's a retro device. That's where we come full circle. Like a lot of people like K, that, you know, a lot of early adopters were able to get in on the bleeding edge of this stuff, you know, five years ago or whatever. And the same goes for like the OSSC. I remember the OSSC was just a pre-order thing. It didn't even exist yet. Um, and, you know, Fudo was talking about it on the Hazard City forums. And, you know, now it's something that people can just say, I'm going to go buy an OSSC. And it's not like you have to get on a long wait, wait list or anything like that. You, like you can actually get, get them now. It's just, one, it's just one of those things where we've reached a point where now we have a product that's going to be more available and it's going to probably offer, you know, better features. Well, obviously, right out the gate, it all, the ability to add a SATA drive is awesome, you know, because you can literally fit no more swapping out SD cards, you know. Just pop the whole library on there, right? Yeah, get like a 500 gigabyte yeah. SSD or one terabyte and just set it and forget it. Yeah, and no using, you know, no, I don't know if this is a thing that people, but no using like images that have been, you know, scraped of information using like full on GDI images, you know, like the raw GDI images, right? Because I know some people to save space will use, you know, some of those, uh, some of those Dreamcast images that have had some of the information pulled out, you know, in order to save on size. Uh, even if it's just dummy data, you know, you're sacrificing some stability there, you know, in terms of if I'm not mistaken, you know, whereas like if you just have a huge hard drive that you can just throw all the GDI images on, then, you know, you're dealing with a one to one copy. Exactly. So, so just, you know, and like you said before, you just set it and forget it. Just throw that SSD mm -hmm. in there and just go play some Dreamcast games. Yeah. Then if, if you reach a point in, you know, your journey where you, you decided, you know, I want to put the, you know, it could be years down the road and you decide you want to put the drive back in and you want to swap it over to a Saturn because you just picked up a Saturn, it sounds like you potentially have that ability. This isn't a hot swappable thing where you can just pull it out of one and, and put it into the other. But it's definitely one of those things where you could change your mind, you know? Yeah, I mean, because well, it's not a solder situation. Just, yeah, you can just pull it out and, I mean, load it up with the Saturn images and just hook everything up and it should work, from my understanding. There's right. no, like, soldering. Or... So, you know, so somebody who doesn't, own a Saturn right now or vice versa you could get into it and then if they pick up a console later on you know they, they you know they'll have something that they can use for the other console so yeah I'm still kind of waiting for the whole satiator thing to to pan out so that I can see how they compare because of course that's not an ODE that's more like a flash cart but I completely forgot to mention that either I actually don't know I mean that's, well I mean it's like in a perpetual it's not really right an ODE it doesn't really work the same way so I could understand you not uh, including it in that you know in that family of devices because it it kind of works in a different way and then leaves your CD ROM drive intact but 
I don't know. It, that kind of remains to be seen. We, we've seen it working. The beta testers have shown video of it working and being patched and stuff like that. But really, what remains to be seen is how available it'll be and what the price is. Because I still don't even know how much it's going to cost. All I have is like whispers of speculative pricing. Yeah, well, not to mention, so, I, mean, I mean, well, when it or if it comes out, we don't know what the game, situation will be with the mode. Will everyone already have a mode in there? And it'd be like, well, I have this mode and this 500 gigabyte hard drive. Do I need? Do I need to get another, you know, satiator? Will this be for like the the, the giant market of Saturn guys, or will this just be for people that oh, I have this option now and are new to it? I mean, sure. I know the crazy people like okay. me that will get both. I can think of scenarios where. One would okay. Ben Ben's gonna put the mode in his high Saturn, you know. But Ben's got other Saturns. Ben goes to trade shows too and stuff like that. So I mean, imagine if you had smaller than a deck of cards, and you you had like the full Saturn library in your pocket. You're able to take that with you on a road trip versus an entire Saturn controllers and everything in a suitcase. You took it to a trade show and you were able to pop it into I don't know, friend Saturn or something like that, and you had you know games at your fingertips that you could you know demo or you know play you know play Bomberman or whatever you know like there are scenarios where I can definitely imagine it being a nice thing to have the equivalent of a Saturn flash cart and which is not point. what the mode is you know yeah it's a good point this though too because yeah. like if your Saturn like say if your Saturn dies you can just take it out and put another Saturn you'll have to hunt down a specific Saturn yeah or anything like that, or you have to do a whole yeah. process like, oh, okay, or or if you have something like me where you have a kiosk and a, you have a Saturn kiosk and another thing, you just pop it out and plug it into another Saturn. But there's pros and cons to both, for sure. It really comes down to the price. So once we see how much this thing, this satiator costs, you know, I mean, if it's like $200, then it really is going to be like a fair fight. If it, if it ends up being a lot more than that, I don't know. And then if it ends up somehow being cheaper than that, I think a lot of people are going to be interested for sure i'm but, hoping uh, i'm hoping he aims at 100 or like 120 i think if you had that it would sell like hotcakes yeah it, it definitely would it, it would be an impulse buy for everybody and then it would just be a matter of does he have enough to satisfy the saturn crowd you know because i know people that would buy two or three seriously yeah but yeah um what about you ben do you have any any thoughts before we move on yeah, I like Dave's opinion on this uh, satiator, you know, where, because at first I'm like, I'm getting a mode and the mode's the only thing I'm going to need and then that's just it. But the option there to actually have all these games on a cart that you can bring with you is very, very handy. And uh, there are situations where it comes in handy to have something I can just carry on me rather than lugging around my Saturn with the, uh, you know, the mode inside of it. Uh, versus just having this little, uh, like he said, a deck-sized cart to where I can just bring it up to somebody else's Saturn. All of a sudden, we got Bomberman, we got everything else we want to play, or English translations that they want to see, uh, stuff like that. You know, those are something that have popped up a lot, and I like showing them off. That's uh, something that's also good for it. For those that don't know, a team on the uh, Sega Extreme Forum uh, recently put out the beta for the long-awaited uh, Lunar Silver Star Story patch for the Saturn, uh, the non-NPEG version of the game. So 
basically they released this patch. The cool thing, it doesn't even use Delta Patch, it uses its own patching process. So all you really need is a copy of uh, Silver Star Complete for the PSX. You need a, a Japanese copy of, yeah, Ben has it in his hands for you that can't see it. Uh, a Japanese copy of Lunar you Silver Star. You said the PSX. Yeah, PSX, PS1, whatever they call it. So the original PlayStation, um, and you need a Japanese copy of Lunar Silver Star Story for the uh, Sega Saturn, the non-NPEG version. Uh, I think you can tell because one of them has like a cover of all the guys on it, and one of them is like a white cover. I think the white cover is the NPEG version, and the other cover is the non-NPEG version. I have it in the video I put up about that. I actually put a video together explaining some of that stuff. So uh, if you want to check it out, it's on the Shiro YouTube page. And we I go into detail on what you need, some of the stuff, how to follow, some of the instructions. And um, I'm hoping that one of us could put out a patching video in case people have issues. I've seen a lot of uh, people having trouble getting the patcher to run correctly. So, Pat... Instead of having like a really huge file that contains all the videos, are you saying that it, this patcher tool basically pulls all the data that it needs from the PlayStation version, which they um, expect you to own, basically? You, you would supply the PlayStation version of the disc, and it would grab the information it needs from that, and then patch the Japanese Saturn disc that you also provide? Um, the thing about it is that uh, right now, the patch that they released is just the translated text file so it's all the the game's text everything else is in pure japanese so the cutscenes are, okay. are, are the cutscenes everything are untouched the only thing that's modified is the other uh, the uh, you know the cuts the, the sort of the the scrolling text the text boxes and uh some of the descriptions and battle systems besides that nothing else is really you. touched so you're gonna get full japanese cutscenes and the original japanese songs it's it's a definitely an interesting question to ask because I don't know what they're going to do in that regards because they they've been bouncing between the ideas of releasing using the Silver Star Harmony version for the PSP that was released or using the Lunar Silver Star Story complete for the PSX or PS1 sorry and essentially that nobody really knows what they're going to do right now I think they're just trying to get it to work in general so if they even get Craig Craig Stradler videos on there it should be good to go no but um yeah, I just think it's an interesting because there's this whole bounce between it that I, I brought up in the video that, you know, that the, the working design's sort of a take it or leave it thing. It's a hit or miss thing. You either love it or hate it. So I know a lot of people have memories for it, but a lot of the people that are more into the original cuts really don't like the changes they made, which actually uh, brought up an interesting question in the video about the the, the uh, unworking designs ver patches of the PlayStation 1 version of Silver Star Story Complete. And if that one would work with it, which I haven't been able to test yet, but it would be interesting if we can actually patch that in instead of the working designs version. But yeah, for for would now, would that be your preference? Um, to be honest, I prefer the working designs one just because it's kind of I'm nostalgic for it. But I kind of like options. Yeah, me too. I I just like people having yeah. options. Like um, I actually kind of I didn't bring in the video, but I I would have I forgot to add that I actually would. It would be cool if they just added subtitles and kept it like a Japanese game, so that way you can just you can just have the subtitles and have a different version of it. So it's like, oh hey, while I have this English version, I can listen to this cool Japanese subtitled version, you know? Because I'm always a, I'm always a fan of those options, you know, different choices. So the more choices, right. the better. So if we can have a whole thing where we can just do all of them, 
that'd be great. Where we have different versions. Like, oh, do you want to play the working designs version? Oh, that's fine. Use that. Or, oh, do you want to play the harmony dub and the and the t- translation? Oh, do that. Or, do you want the wor- unworking design fan one? Oh, you can do that one too. So, I'm just a fan of all options, and it's gonna be cool if they could do that. But I think for now we should just wait on until they get everything working. But uh, yeah. For the most part, it's pretty fun. It's all playable, very playable. I was able to play most of it. or I'm Sorry, not most of it. I was able to play a lot of it, so I definitely want to go back and sort of beat it. I'm playing through the PS1 version as well, but, you know, I like the Saturn. What can I say? You know, I have a lot of nostalgia for working designs as well. Even, you know, even on the PlayStation, like, they were just on fire back then. Remember, like, releasing so many games under different genres around the same time and it was like they were they they could do no wrong you know in terms of their releases i think it's really subsequently that people have come to kind of nitpick with what they did but you know personally i i do i'm a fan of the you know tongue-in-cheek uh humor and just a lot of the localized you know i i mean if you're a huge weeaboo i get it you know you you want that you know the accuracy of like the original Japanese text and and uh, you're you're getting most of that in the storyline but yeah like some of the references just don't hit you know if you don't really understand Japanese culture um, very deeply so you know I, I like the localization but I definitely understand what you're talking about Pat and it is good to have options so you know if that's a possibility for uh, a future release you know having having the unworking designs patch uh be a possibility that i'm sure a lot of people would be all about that too you know uh but yeah like working design you remember elemental gear bolt am i saying that right elemental gear bolt was like that uh shooter it was like a it was almost like a panzer dragoon style first person shooter kind of thing like it was around that period that working designs was just on fire and they were just hitting one homer after another you know and of course that was the same exact time that um they basically burned bridges or, you know, Sega burned bridges with them and they went separate ways. So that was really sad, but it's a shame because like you say, uh, all those do what I was just, I was saying I could see Ben has something to say, you know? Yes, because I love working designs. Uh, Their games in the PS one era, especially in the PS one era were fantastic. And um, everything they were, you know, localizing was was really good, high quality. Uh, you were getting uh, good instruction manuals, really quality artwork. You were getting the games were really, really well done, uh, and they were picking games that were just fantastic. I, I just, I, I have not found one that I did not like that they did. Also, on an unrelated note, if anybody has a extra soundtrack copy of Lunar uh, Eternal Blue, I'd really appreciate that because I'm missing that from my collector's edition. Shameless shout out. I need that collection. I need that extra disc. So if you have it, I'll give you money for it. I just need it. But yeah, I really love. If you work- have it. <laughs> yeah, if you have it, send it to me for free. No. But um, <laughs> but no, I I really love I love work I love the working designs games. I love Lunar specifically. I mean, I have both the PS the PS one version and the Sega CD version. I like to get Eternal Blue for the Sega CD, but that's pretty expensive right now. But maybe I'll trade one of my GameCube games for it because I love I love Lunar that much. It's probably one of my favorite working design games and one of my favorite RPGs of all time. I'm really excited to play it on Saturn and have three different versions of play of it. That'd be kind of interesting. 
be like Skyrim or yeah, Mist or any one it. of those others. Forget Skyrim. Yeah. I got my Skyrim right here. It's called Lunar. It was definitely one of the easily had some of the best artwork and music of any of the working designs games. Uh, I mean, you know, Magic Knight Ray Earth was up there as well. But then again, that was based on a cartoon, right? And I mean, you had with Lunar, it was really just like specifically for this game, if I'm not mistaken. All of all of the artwork and all of the you know music and story writing that went into it was just for this game, so it was really a special thing. So yeah, if I'm gonna be playing it again, it's probably gonna be on my Saturn. Kind of been waiting for that. It remains to be seen what what they're gonna do with the MPEG version, though. You know, because uh, I know it just uses uncompressed. It just uses standard MPEG supported by the VCD card. But they got to figure out how to do that. And I realize that's not, I mean, like you said, just getting it to work is their main priority right now. So it makes sense they would just start with the basic version. For sure. I, I think what I, I talked to Misty a little bit, the one of the guys, that, one of the people that are working on the, the translation of that, or sorry, one of the people that are working on the project. And she was saying that she was yeah. trying to get the, trying to get it on there, but she had some issues and is trying to work with it because it uses, I guess it uses different memory calls, and it's very weird how it does that. I don't, I don't have the, yeah. the exact technical. It was like the referencing for the memory, how it accesses that. Apparently, it has a lot of issues on the MPEG version. It's very confusing. So they're still trying to crack mm-hmm. that egg. So I'm hoping that'll happen because I think the MPEG version is really beautiful. And once they get that going, it'll be great. But I'm just happy that I can play the game in English in any capacity right now. So. But like I said in the mm-hmm. video, though, if you're playing it, participate in the beta. Go download the patch. If you have the the, P, the PS1 game and the Sega Saturn game, uh, you know, patch your game and just uh, give them feedback. Play through it a couple times. You know, find all the tracks, find stuff that are stuffs going off screen, and you know, just give some feedback. And this way, we can get the patch all ironed out. And once they they're ready to roll in the video portion, we should be good to go. Yeah, another another reason why. Uh, you know, fan translators and patchers—they they want people to play their games. You know, they want they want people to play these patches. So I can understand why the MPEG version would be lower priority because immediately people are going to want to download it and play it, and only the ones who own VCD cards are going to be able to do that anyway. You know, because it requires the VCD card to work. So that right there, your audience is limited. Not to mention how much the VCD cards will go up in price when that True. drops. I mean, because they'll be like, oh, well, I want to play it, but I need the VCD card. They're like, oh, it's hundreds of dollars. That's cool. Uh, if you guys are even, if you guys are like serious Saturn collectors or Saturn fans or Lunar fans and even, you know, maybe thinking about interest in playing an MPEG version in the future, I would go buy yourselves a VCD card now. You know, because they are just continuing to go up in price. I was going to say, you might have to think about if you're really going to justify that for one game. But I forgot Working Designs fans were kind of crazy with that stuff, so they probably pay handsomely just for that MPEG card just to play that one game. That's how good Lunar is to some people, and at least to me. I would definitely do it, though. Yeah, there's not, not really a whole lot else that supports that card. I mean, there's a few things, you know, like the original Gun Griffin... Japanese version of Gun Griffin supports it and a few other things, but Lunar is really a heavy hitter 
in terms of reason to buy. I'm actually surprised Lunar didn't even get like a HD remaster like Grandia did or anything. I kind of hope they do something with it because I really want to play it again on a modern console. Alright, so for our main topic, comrades, we are talking Command and & Conquer and other real-time strategy games on the Saturn. Um, I guess for you guys that don't know, um, really, Command & Conquer was a really big uh, RTS and really still is. They actually did a remaster of it, what, like this year, um, that LRG put out for the PC, and uh, I think uh, they're doing a Switch port too, which is kind of weird, but you know. Hey, if you guys want to play some RTSs on your Switch and don't mind playing like that, I mean, it's up to you guys. But uh, anyways, uh, it was originally ported to the Saturn in 1996 as a timed exclusive by Virgin Interactive under the Westwood Studios brand. Westwood and Virgin had sort of merged prior. Um, it was also released on PlayStation in 1997 and then the N64 in 1999. Ooh, uh, I don't think I'd play those on any of those consoles. That sounds awful. Uh, <laughs> it was initially released on DOS in 1995, and the Saturn version was the most faithful port out of all of them. And weirdly enough, for a while, the Saturn was bundled with C Command & Conquer in Europe. Uh, I don't know what that was about. Did, did any of you guys know anything about that? It's kind of kind of a weird choice. So I know that in Europe, like, so, okay, in, in North America, really, there was just one standard Saturn model. I mean, yes, there was the, you know, revised model 2 later on, but the packaging was standard packaging. But in Europe, they did a whole bunch of uh, special boxes. So I know Tomb Raider was bundled with the Saturn for a while. A couple other games, and so was Command and Conquer. So it was just essentially a Saturn with you know the entire outer box was in Command and Conquer uh, branding, and of course the game was included. So it was just like a limited edition Saturn box. Nice, yeah. So yeah, it's definitely definitely an interesting choice for sure. I actually didn't really know that's really weird. So I think the reason that it was done uh, in Europe is because Command. So PC gaming in Europe was quite big at the time, and Command & Conquer was just one of the most highly rated and and well-loved games in Europe at the time. And so, you know, it made sense for Sega to sort of ride that wave and, you know, release a, a special, you know, boxed Saturn Command & Conquer version of it. So it just, it was really good uh, good brand name recognition. And fun fact, Ben Boyd, he, he makes a, a hobby out of making, like, a bunch of those renditions, a bunch of those, like, special box renditions. I've seen he's done, like, a Panzer Dragoon Saga version, and a, he's even done a theme park, uh, uh, you know, so. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying, yeah, like, Command & Conquer, Tomb Raider, those are kind of interesting choices for pack-ins. But, yeah, over in the UK, they did things a little differently. UK so. is all about those RTS games. I guess. I, I Probably not. I think a lot of people play Quake. But but anyways, um, it, it actually features two discs, one for each side of the conflict. Uh, GDI, Global Defense Initiative, and the Brotherhood of Nod, who are the evildoers in the game that are commanded by by Kane, who I think I think is actually supposed to be the Kane from the Kane and Abel, the sort of the god, the, the Bible Kane. That so somehow stayed alive forever. Because I think it's like based off of the, the God thing where he like had Cain live forever or something and wander the earth. It's really weird. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Well, There's an interesting choice for sure for doing that. Um, the, the game actually itself does not support save except for a password. 
And weirdly enough, doesn't support the Saturn mouse. Now, I didn't get to try it, but I think, uh, Peter, you tried that out and it did not work at all. No, it doesn't work with the mouse, and that's a huge shame because, you know, you can immediately tell that the game would just be way easier with a mouse. But unfortunately, it's not supported. Yeah, um, I actually didn't have a ton of issues with the controller as much as I thought I'd, I'd have, but it was still... I still was a little bit better on the PC version for sure when I played that. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, um, I also thought it was kind of weird. Um, I actually did research on it, and apparently none of the versions had a actual save functionality. Both the PlayStation and the uh, the and the Nintendo one, I believe, don't have like a save function. Apparently, it was all password based, which is kind of a uh, kind of weird considering the PC supported like five bajillion saves on it. I do think, though, that um, with games like this that have a lot of information, you know, like, think about everything that on your map that would have to be saved, you know? I, I, I think that it would end up... Some some developers would opt to throw in save support, but they wouldn't really know how to optimize it. And you'd end up with these games that would basically eat up your entire internal storage, you know? And that was usually because they just either didn't want to take the time to try to optimize the size of the save file uh, or uh, or do, use any kind of like compression or because they just didn't know how. Uh, so in this case, with so much information need, needing to be saved, um, I think that they would just opt for a password system, you know, and that way you could kind of... Once you've unlocked several areas of the game, you can kind of zip around to one part or another. Yeah, it just it kind of makes sense. I, I guess the the one thing I'm curious about is why they didn't just have it between missions. So it's like, oh hey, just jump to this mission. It's sort of like how the password works. Where it's like, oh, this is the password to jump to X mission. Why don't they do it to, you know, have it so it just saves? Okay, I'm saved at this mission. Load save. Okay, it's this mission, that mission, and. Just jump to it. I but mean, doesn't it also save? Doesn't it also save like resources? Part I could be ignorant here. I, I don't. Um, I, no, I'm, I think I'm, I think each mission. It dep- if you're saving in the middle of a mission, I think so. But like, I mean, it, the, the beginning of the mission, you just get resources for each one. So it's like you don't. So it just starts you from scratch. Pretty much, it's it's sort of like a pretty much every other RTS. So it's like, okay, here's your resources. Go have fun. Wow. Okay. Well, in that case, I stand corrected. I, I don't really know why they wouldn't put a, put in safe support for that. Probably couldn't figure it out. Yeah, that's weird. It this was uh, okay. So this was published by Westwood Studios, and it was um, was the port handled by Westwood Studios as well. So on Sega Retro, it says developer Westwood Studios, and then it was published by a variety of publishers depending on the region. So I think Westwood pretty much did it. It doesn't look like anyone else had, really had a hand in it on the developing end. Okay. Yeah, so um, I don't know. They didn't really do any other uh, Saturn games, so maybe they didn't know how. I don't know. Because that's the only game that Westwood published on the Saturn was in Conquer. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that was just like their one-hit wonder. Good hit to have. Looking at the credits, they, they do show a separate group of people credited for the Sega Saturn version. Some overlap with the original Command and Conquer, but it's people within Westwood. So, mm. like, that, that kind of mm. yeah. better answers your question. I mean, the game like plays pretty much perfectly, besides the fact that, you know, it doesn't have a save functionality, which is kind of weird. Actually, maybe the, the FMVs right. are kind of more, I guess, a, a very compressed, but I guess that makes sense. For what they are, I think that... I. I seem to remember them being pretty good. Like I seem to remember watching them, and you know, yeah, they're yeah they're a little choppy, but from what you're used to on a, on Saturn, 
they seem pretty good. And then, uh, obviously, it has to go with like a 240p-ish resolution uh, to fit a standard def TV. But um, for what it is, it looks really sharp. And it, and load times are really short. It plays really quick. It's this it's that mouse lack of mouse support that seems like woefully missing. Uh, because when you consider the fact that Mist was like a Japanese launch game and that had mouse support, you know. Greed. I, th- I think another big crux was that it didn't have any multiplayer either on it. It was a single player only experience, which is uh it's surprising if you know if you play like Command and Conquer. That's a big. Uh, it's, the, the whole series it's really big on multiplayer, and you know, strategy games are all about that multiplayer action. And unfortunately, it didn't have it. I think um, I mentioned at E3 that they that the Netlink compatibility was planned for it, but I mean, as we all know, it didn't pan out. So they probably dropped it pretty fast, or thought, okay, we can't get the password system. Uh, got to get this released. We can't do the network either, so we'll just have to do this password system, and that's about it. Yeah, the closest you'd get to multiplayer is give one disc to your friend. And trade back and forth. That was one cool thing. Is it's like you basically got two campaign, two full campaigns uh, with the two discs. You know, so Netlink yeah, support was it. initially planned, was it not? It was. Oh well, it's rumored to have been initially planned, and then they just didn't or couldn't. Um, it's rumored on internet posts from you know the mid to late '90s. It's rumored that uh, Sega was blamed by the developer for that, but I don't think there's any actual like solid documentation or evidence to that. Yeah, that seems to be a big recurring theme with Sega's clashing with their developers constantly. Yeah, it's definitely. It wouldn't surprise me. So for whatever reason, they weren't able to put Netlink in, and it definitely seemed like they wanted to. Imagine that. That would have been pretty dope. All we can do is imagine what could have been, and of course, play Command and Conquer on PC and the remaster that got released as well. That's right. That was pretty recent, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, they they put it out like I think maybe a month ago, and EA showed it off on their EA Play. That was I think the last week. Nice. It was really cool. I was gonna say, for what it's worth, uh, Blizzard, not Blizzard, but uh, Warcraft Two, which I think was developed by Climax for the Saturn, is also an RTS which was only one player. So, I don't know, they just couldn't get that that two-player thing going on on the Saturn. Which was Th- a, those are the two games that I find. Too. Yeah, it's a real shame cuz like these games are supposed to be multiplat or multiplayer. And as an RTS, these were the top notch back in the day. These were the ones that everybody played. And then you moved into Command and Conquer 2 or Red Alert 2 and then all of those brought in some really top names as far as actors coming into the games as well, which were doing some hilarious casting. And uh, But yeah, yeah, so good games. It's, it's really a shame that we didn't get that Netlink support for them. Yeah, no, it's speaking of that, Ben, it's crazy how many popular actors really got into that series. Like, I mean, they have James Earl Jones. They had um, George Takei in the Red Alert 3. They had the um, the father from uh, from uh, Twin Peaks. If you guys ever watched that show, mm-hmm. and then if you guys yeah. are, if you ever watched the um, what was the name of that show um, or the movie uh, War Games, uh, the the general in that that bald guy, he's also the general in Red Alert too, which I thought was also pretty funny. It says on the back of the box that it runs at sixty frames per second. Well, that's cool. Yeah, that's definitely faster than Warcraft Two on the Saturn. I, I wondered if I wonder why. Um, they chose to go 240p. I mean, it's a really crisp image, don't get me wrong, but I kind of wonder why they didn't go interlace, like 480i, because you'd be able to get more information, like more more uh, 
you know more individual graphics on the screen and since these were these games were designed for CRTs it would have made sense but instead they went for the lower resolution which for us we benefit cuz we're all using like scan line doubling or you know capture solutions that play play nice with progressive images but still it's just something that i thought about um considering that it's a game that you know puts a lot of tiny little graphics on the screen so i do i do most of my gaming on like i do have a crt but i i prefer the very sort of crisp and sharp pixel look so i do all of my gaming on a uh like a flat screen plasma um that still accepts natively um posit component and s video natively and so what i do is i actually i take rgb out of the saturn using a scart uh, cable run that through a transcoder and then plug that into the uh the tv anyways the reason i'm going on about this is i get a very clean lag free image and the 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 advantage over an upscaler is that anytime resolutions switch there's, there's there's no you know like the, the screen doesn't black out there's no there's no lag or there's no there's no input problems at all and so i often wonder with simple graphic games why a you know a 480i high resolution mode wasn't used and there's so many i can think of command and conquer was definitely one of them some of the more obscure puzzlers like shanghai triple threat would have really benefited from a high resolution mode and couple others but you know, it's a shame, and, and so if you think about, okay, so you know they chose the lower resolution graphics. There's no there's no mouse support. There's no save file support. It makes you wonder whether, as solid as this port is, and as much as it's you know called for being the most accurate port, whether it would have benefited from like an extra month or even six weeks of you know extra development time because they could have really just you know, done a top notch uh, version of the game. I think one of the big reasons they didn't choose that 480i is just the processing power that probably would be required for it. I mean, it's one thing to use lower resolution, but once you start boosting those resolutions, the frame rate drops. So I'm thinking they thought they'd rather have that that 60 FPS than the higher 480i. Yeah, you know what? That's true. That's a trade-off because I could be wrong, but it's like pretty much four times the processing power to to run 480i compared to uh, 240p. Yeah, it's just more rendering that it would have to do on the spot. But mm. um, but for the most part, I think like I played on a CRT as well, Peter, and it played pretty well. Like I used my little twenty-inch PVM uh, through RGB, so it's kind of like that similar in your vein. And it's uh, and basically it played pretty pretty well, and I was able to see all the units and stuff without any issue. Don't get me wrong; it looks really really good. It just you know, with the save files, the the lack of mouse support, it just makes you wonder what else they could have done with it. Although I I suppose you know, bumping it up to 480i or, or high resolution as, as it was known back in the day would probably have been a little bit much. But yeah, from the most, one of the interesting things I, I thought was funny, speaking of the the, the, the gameplay and the, the visuals and stuff, uh, uh, one thing I figured out before uh, a little while ago was that you actually change the speed in-game. Because I thought at first it was like moving a mile per minute. It's like, oh, well, I guess I, you can change it on the PC. But apparently you could change it on the console as well to make it a little bit faster. Because I was like, oh, wow, I guess, I'm getting, I guess I'm playing this one mile a minute now. I made the pro gamer move of not realizing you could change the speed whenever I, I did my run-through of Command & Conquer. So, yeah, mine was a little more sluggish there. Yeah, how far did everybody get? Did anybody beat it? Um, I beat it a few years ago on PC. 
I think I got halfway through it uh, on the Saturn, or at least most of the way through it on the on the G on the uh, the the Brotherhood of Nod. I played I played the Brotherhood of Nod because I think Kane's like the coolest, so I have to gotta represent my main my main guys, the Nod, Nod guys. Nod to the Nod. I uh, I played GDI, but I think I got about halfway too. Thing is, I cheated like a lot. <laughs> I was basically just spamming the nukes. Dave. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Well, you know, I, so little time. Oh, I so get many it. <laughs> Right. But, uh, but yeah, no, that's that's one of the things I loved about it. It was very much uh, Grand Theft Auto 5-ish where you can just, like, pull up the pull up the little side thing, pop in the code. You got nukes. Take out their entire their entire fleet. It's like, I don't got time for this. <laughs> well just done. nuke them. I got about halfway through the good guy Golden Eagle dudes. And the best part is, uh, and like, of course, everybody does this, but the missions where you're able to build up your resources, just like spend like an hour seeing how many troops you can you can amass, and then sending the swarm in to just like freaking curb stop the the bad guys on the other end. I think there was this one where I had like three or four hundred or so, just ready to go. I had them all on a grid, and you can you can only select like a certain amount. I wasn't able to select all of them at once. But I don't know if that was like a hardware limitation for the Saturn or if that's how it was on PC. I'm not 100% sure. You know, I thought it was like a pretty decent translation, all things considered. Like it played well and it looked really, really good. It's just, I don't know why they didn't have mouse controls. That's just such a major bummer. Like, why didn't they do that? (laughs) That's just, even Myst had mouse controls. And that came out before the Saturn mouse came out in the United States, roughly a year before the mouse came out in the U.S. And Mist still used it. Command and Conquer should have used it. That was stupid, but oh well. I, still I think it's, a we lot all think it's it. stupid because it makes no sense why they didn't put it in. You know. One thing I was curious about, you guys, is I think the music. It's probably my favorite part of this game, just the soundtrack by Frank Klopacki, who did several Westward games and actually recently did a concert series called Frank Klopacki and the Tribune Sons, which is really cool. It's on YouTube. They did it at MAGFest. They did a whole concert of all the best of Red Alert and the Command and Conquer series. And I was curious, did you guys have a favorite track or music selection from the game? Now I feel silly because I didn't even, the music didn't really... I'm going to have to go back and check it out because when I was playing this game, that's not one of the things I was thinking about, really. So nothing really strikes me as, like, stand, standing out. But uh, if if uh, you have really good taste in music, Pat, so if you say it's good, I'm going to have to go back and check it out. It's really good. It's um, very sample-heavy uh, electronic music. It's sort of rock-based, so I think um, hmm. my favorite one has to be, um, it's called Mechanical Man. And the the funny thing about it is that uh, they actually used a sample from Charles Manson, the the guy that you know killed Sharon Tate back in was it sixty nine or so. They used a sample from one of his yeah. songs, which I thought was kind of a kind of a weird choice for a video game. I don't you know don't think that's probably the best one, but he did replace it in the concert series, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> Yeah, I played the whole thing with the uh, with the volume kind of down. 
so I'm I'm gonna have to give it a go again with with it cranked up and see if it makes a different impression. Yeah, you can also listen to it. They have the full soundtrack on YouTube and the concert series. They have some really really banger tracks, in my opinion. Is it Redbook Audio? Can you pop the disc in your in your CD player? You know, I haven't tried. I'm not. Sh- I don't think so, though. But we we could check. But yeah, uh, I'm not sure. In all honesty, be cool if it was. I just popped it into a CD player, and it is not. It does not have Redbook Audio tracks on it. But it does have an interesting dude talking to you and telling you a bunch of interesting information. So that's kind of neat. What were they saying? Well, I was trying not to play it too loud so that it didn't come in over my mic, but uh, um, it was just talk. It was just like, the world it needs your help. <laughs> will you, you know, cut, you know, will you answer the call? And it, I don't know. It was going on and on. So, propaganda or inspirational quotes? We have no idea. Both. I really like the intro in the game. If anybody hasn't really uh, just sat and watched it for a little bit, the um, it, it's really quite funny as it's kind of like flipping through channels and just seeing all these little silly little skits that are going on during that. And uh, so that that was fun. I really like that little add-on right there. Somebody was um, drinking like a power beverage and it was um, in a like an oil bottle, like where you fill your car with oil. And so uh, they're about to chug that, and they flip the channel on that. So it's like, okay, yeah, let's let's do this. Yeah, those are, that was always pretty fun. I love the those cutscenes, like the the funny live action stuff that Westwood sort of does in a lot of their games. I don't know, it always has a really cool sense of humor with that in a, in a semi serious game. The uh, obscure game of the cast, Saturna Obscura, and that is E or Z, depending on how you would pronounce that. And that's it. It's just called Z. So it's just like the game D, except it's Z. It's only just the one letter for the title. Does, Z, um, does saying it, Z kill you on the inside, Peter? You know what it does? A little part of my soul just <laughs> died, and it's just it's it should be Z. Let's just let's just facts. It should be Z. But uh, anyways, the game is the. Uh, developed and published by the Matt Brothers, and it got released exclusively in Europe. GT Interactive actually published it over there in 1998, and it just happens to be another one of those 1998 games that ended up hitting in Europe that never ended up making it out in uh, North America. So it's similar to Command & Conquer uh, in, in that it's a real-time strategy game. Uh, but one major difference is that there is no resource development. So you kind of start off with what you have. The other thing, too, is you're not, you know, your soldiers and your your troops and whatever, they're not human. They're they're robots. And so there's some really bizarre sort of storyline behind that. You get to select one of two opposing uh, robot armies, and you have to obviously try to defeat the other one. Um, and yes, this game does support the Saturn mouse. And it just, like, I, I, I felt that that made a really huge difference in uh you know your gameplay experience overall 
the game never ended up doing as well as Command and Conquer. Command and Conquer was obviously a you know a top game. It was very well reviewed, very well received. Zed or Z wasn't um, as much, but you know it, it's definitely not a bad game. I don't even want to say that it's like a poor man's uh, Command and Conquer because that's not the case. It's got its own virtues. It does take quite a while to load each mission. I found as I was sort of playing through it, like it, significantly. Uh, long loading times to the point where I thought, okay, is you know, is the game broken? Is something not reading right or whatever? Um, and it is possibly the only Saturn game that I've come across where, in one of the opening uh, FMV sequences, uh, one of the characters drops the F bomb. Although it's cleverly disguised, you know, just as the character is saying it, you know, there's an explosion that goes on in the background. I mean, you can sort of catch it or whatever, but it's one of those moments where you know, it's uh, it's in there, and it wasn't censored any more than than that then you know that explosion sort of sound sort of happening in the background now listen up you lard asses where's my damn delivery it was due here an hour ago oh shit second message if i find out you've been lazy asking around space again then i'll kick your red butt you dumb fuck whoa he sounds pissed you know it's it's unique it's different it's available in europe only um, but uh, it's it's not a bad game. It's 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 good for what it is. Yeah. Speaking of those load times, I do agree. I used the Raya, and even using that, the load times were like, okay, did my Saturn freeze on me or something? So I had to double check and tap it a couple times, and it wasn't indeed not frozen. Just took about a century and a half to load up. And you could do the alphabet from A to Z just waiting, right? So A to Z, um, you mean? <laughs> oh, indeed. Thank you, Patrick. <laughs> One of the things about the game is that it had that 1998 year in it, and everyone knows that North America plus 1998 plus Saturn equals death. It's a sad year. Okay. It was a sad time. So, fun fact, fun fact. It included shuttle mouse support, right? Ironically, the shuttle mouse was never released in Europe. <laughs> so, yep. fun fact. they never got the mouse, but they got the mouse support. We got the mouse, but we didn't get the mouse support for, That's for Command terrible. and Conquer. So oh, the, how's that, that for a slap in the face? Oh. Man. Right. That's a very fun fact. We got Mr. Bones, though, yeah. so that makes up for it, right? It sure does. But, oh, God. Oh. That's just classic Sega of the 90s, isn't it? I mean, these are the, the folks that would put out all these weird and wonderful peripherals and then not support them or not release them. Or like something as common sense as the mouse especially since PC ports were a big sort of staple of, you know, 90s gaming, and let's not release the damn thing. Like, it, it's just, it's classic Sega of the 90s. It's that, that that sweet, sweet mismanagement that they sort of put us through. I'm just surprised the mouse even came out here at all. I think most of, the, most of it was for a lot of those dating sims and the sort of RTSs and RPG stuff in there, and... Of course, we never got any of that, so, I mean, why would we need mm. that if we don't right. have any of that good stuff? Or bad stuff, depending on how, who you ask. Yeah. Well, do you know what? I'm positive that had the Netlink not come out in North America, and it did not come out in Europe, it came out over here, um, then we would have not had a mouse, which is a right. shame. I mean, but in the end, we did get one, so mm -hmm. just too bad about our European uh, listeners. Yeah, I actually like the Japanese mouse a lot better, the white and pink design. Mm -hmm. mm. I like that one a lot better. I can't believe they didn't 
release a floppy disk drive out here if they had it. You know, they had it. Floppy disks are cheap. Everybody had them lying in a drawer in the 90s, and memory cards were expensive. You know, if you own a PlayStation, had to go... At some of these games, like, you know, have huge save files. Wouldn't it be great to just slap your save onto a floppy and give it to a friend, and there they have the game unlocked, you know, bring your saves over to a friend's house. It just makes so much sense um, when you're thinking about it in hindsight. Because they had these, like, convoluted devices called Dex Drives back in the day that were hugely popular with the Nintendo 64 and the PlayStation. You remember Dex Drives? Yep. Oh, is that the piracy machine? Yeah. No, it was just like a little thing you plug into your computer and you take the, the Sony PlayStation memory card plug it into it and it would allow you to dump the saves onto your computer, onto your PC and share them, right? Well, I mean, if Saturn, if Fujitsu had a floppy disk drive for the Saturn that worked with the serial port, why not release that in the States, you know? Because it just, I mean, obviously as the Saturn support was looking, you know, not so good, I can see why they wouldn't have released it. But they had that early on. So it just doesn't make sense why they wouldn't have put that out early and had it be a huge system seller you know like not only does this console come with internal memory which the playstation doesn't but we also have this cool floppy disk add-on for i don't know 50 bucks or whatever and you can just have unlimited saves on floppy disk that just doesn't doesn't make any sense it probably would have been ungodly expensive i mean wasn't it pretty expensive in japan when that first dropped you know that uh it was roughly 100 us dollars it wasn't cheap, but the thing is, once you invested in the unit, discs back then were just a dime a dozen. So, you know, it would have essentially given you unlimited saves uh, for your Saturn. I guess, but I mean, mm. at the end of the day, it probably was cheaper for kids to pick up a memory card manager, some memory card, and shove it in the top of it versus a $100 floppy drive. That's ultimately what, what happened is the cartridges ended up becoming more popular all regions really than than the floppy drive ever was so that's what went down yeah we can't all be a mechanical man the truth is you know it, it, it the more you make the cheaper they can cost you know and so selling them in japan obviously there's limited space in japan and limited market you know selling them across america or south america canada i mean you have a a, a larger market potentially could drive down the cost you know uh just through you know numbers so i'm you know i realize that might be a weak argument but it just seems like it would it would have made sense as a peripheral in that early launch window you know that that would have sold had they just not botched the launch completely you know What did you guys think of Z? I got the same impression you did, Pat. It just kept uh, it kept freezing up, and I kept wondering if my Saturn was broken <laughs> or if my laser was dying. I started worrying that my laser was dying. Yeah, I hate those scares. Yeah, get that existential crisis. Well, I got to get get a drive, hunt down the the, the drive for it, the laser. Got to open that up. Well, no, I burned it. I burned it on a cheap Memorex disc, so I thought I shot myself in the foot. I'm like, oh damn it! I I burned this cheap disc, and now I just screwed my laser. And then I like found out. Oh no, this is just something this game does. <laughs> that probably you know? doubled the the load times alone just by doing that. Yeah, probably. 
It's just what I had lying around. Fair enough. Gotta gotta make it work. Don't want to waste those Tyre Uden discs. No, hell no. <laughs> Altogether, I really I like the game. Thought Command and Conquer was a little little tiny bit better. Um, I think one of the issues I had with it is that I had a hard time controlling it with the controller versus a uh, uh, Command and Conquer. It was a lot harder for me to control in that game, and I was just a bit confused at first. But I realized, oh, you got to capture the the towers. So it took a little bit, but it was it was pretty fun and. Some of the graphics were pretty cute. I like the little animations. The robots in between are pretty funny. But uh, yeah, uh, com compared to Command & Conquer, I think I like Command & Conquer a bit more, though. But I might be a little bit biased. I'm surprised to hear you say that they're com comparable, you know? Yeah, I'm interested in the terms of, of strategy games. It's a little bit different in, its, in, in the way that they play. Like, one of them uh, one is more like a... Um, I don't know, it kind of felt like a Flash game from the mid-2000s, mid early 2000s. Like the... You know, send your armies mm -hmm. to a place while they spawn over and over again. I don't know if you ever played any of those yeah. stuff. But it kind of felt like that. I know what you're talking about. But like in the vein of strategy games, I kind of preferred Command & Conquer. But uh, overall, I thought it was pretty decent. Uh, probably not that something I want to go out of my way and play, unfortunately. But I, I guess if I had to recommend it, maybe. If you're bored on a Saturday and have nothing else to do. I actually haven't played it yet. It's it's on my list of things that I really want to get going and give it a try. Uh, but I'm trying to get through a couple of these other Saturn games before I get to it. So it's just one of those things that I'm just, it, it's going to be played, but I just haven't gotten there. I too have not gotten around to it. I blame Romance of the Three Kingdoms. I do agree with your comment on it kind of looking like one of those old Flash games, though. I definitely, you know, having looked at it, it gives off those vibes for sure. It's a, for some reason a very accurate description of that. Of yeah. Zed. Yeah, it just goes to show how far we've come in terms of games in the future. I mean, now I think Zed would make a kind oh, of yeah. nice mobile game, at least. It would, yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, thank you guys for listening. And remember, you must play Sega Saturn. It's with mandatory. Craig. Yeah, with Craig Stradler. As great philosopher Craig the Walrus Stadler once said, we have to act now if we want to live in a different world.
million dollar question does craig stadler make a cameo appearance <laughs> well uh you know some things are are better left as surprises so we'll just have to have to let that one slide for now for he's now. the ruler of one of the kingdoms <laughs> Right, well, golf shot. is mandatory, and they fight with golfing <laughs> clubs. It's like that episode of Samurai Pebble. Jack, except less right. fun. It's one of the Chinese cities known as Pebble Beach. So, Pebble so. <laughs> Beach. Most Saturn games, though, would have been better if Craig would have just come on and narrated them. You know? They really would have been. Like, like even uh, Off World Interceptor would have been better if if Craig Stadler had been doing the commentary. Right, the, if he did the commentary, the that would have been so much better. Right. Yeah, instant oh, buy. That would have been great. Since Trekkies is lately all into the whole, you know, repacking Cinepack videos and everything like that, he ought to do, mm -hmm. like, game patches for some of these game, some of these videos where he, like, does, like, a mashup and then, like, patches the new video back in, you know? That would be awesome. Yeah. Put, like, a Craig Stadler. <laughs> yeah. The pan up of Craig getting ready to smash out a sick drive. Think you can get it inside mine?